Hello and welcome to the Science and Belief in Society podcast, brought to you by the International Research Network for the Study of Science and Belief in Society. I'm Dr. Will Mason-Wilkes, and as ever today, I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. James Riley. How are you doing, James? Very good, Will. Yeah, thank you. Just tucking into my afternoon coffee um, and awaiting for it to hit. <laughs> well, hopefully that gives you the uh, the required vim and vigor to get an a, a interesting and compelling podcast uh, recorded today. I'm sure it will do. It normally does. Um, but yeah, today uh, we're extremely excited uh, to welcome uh, a team of researchers. Uh, and this is a team of researchers who are based at Austral University in Argentina. So we have with us today Reynaldo Rivera, who is a full professor in the School of Communication and Design. And with him are Arturo Fitzherbert, who is a postdoctoral researcher uh, on the Science and Religion Exploring the Spectrum project, and Sol Barbera, who is also a researcher on that project. And it's that project which we're going to be kind of spending quite a lot of the uh, time today talking about. But first of all, uh, welcome, uh, Reynaldo, Arturo, and Sol. How are you doing? Hi, Will. Great, great. Right. Thank you, Will. Hi, Hi James. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. It's an honor <laughs> for us uh, to be in this podcast. Oh, thank yeah, you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank great you. to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, so, yeah, so as I said, um, kind of at least uh, the starting point for our discussion today will be um, around the science and religion exploring the spectrum of global perspectives, or SRES project, as we like to call it. Um, and so for context, that project is also a project uh, that might be familiar to listeners of the podcast. It's also a project that James and I have um, done work on. And it is a project uh, that is a kind of multinational interdisciplinary project that's kind of seeking to understand uh, the relationships that exist between science and religion in diverse contexts globally. So your work on the project has focused on the Argentinian context. So what are the headline findings from this part of the world? And how do religion and science relate in different contexts within Argentina? So, for instance, in public uh, versus, say, within the scientific profession. Yes. Well, uh, let me give you some context. So we are talking about a Latin American nation um, that was a former Spanish colony. So the Catholic heritage in institutions and in culture is very strong. Uh, for example, today you have a 62% of Argentinians that are Catholics, although that number has been decreasing in the last decades. And if you read the constitution, you will become aware very early that uh, there's a, still a, a link with a religion, the Catholic religion, because the state promotes Catholic religion. So uh, in, the, in this context, um, we have been researching about uh, different debates about science and religion. And one main thing is that in the last years, we are not aware of any public debate about science and religion. And in the interviews we made, interviewees were not aware also of any public discussions about science and religion in Argentina. But you see, when you talk with younger generations, they may be aware of uh, debates in the US or the UK because they watch them on Netflix or in YouTube. 
So you have people aware of Richard Dawkins, but because they see him in, in YouTube or, or in other social media. So uh, I, I also give you some historical context. The last important debate about science and religion was in the 1960s. And this was because uh, Catholic groups were asking the state to legalize uh, Catholic universities, you know, and they started, uh, um, I mean, they, they couldn't give uh, professional titles, no official professional titles, and they, are, they were asking for that. But there were some groups that said that uh, that would um, not promote science, you know, because they used the conflict narrative and they said um, Catholicism and and science are at odds. So the state should not allow Catholic universities because that is a contradiction. That was in the 60s. Earlier on, we found that there is a, although, although as I told you in the constitution, the state still holds the, the Catholic religion, there was a secularization process that was very deep in public education, not in many other fields, but very strong in public education. So in the 1880s, uh, there was a, a movement that uh, when, they, when they started to, to promote public education, they took the concept of laicite from, from France. And you know, that, that uh, kind of secularization is for example different from that in the US. In the US, uh, the thing was that they wanted to preserve the individual rights to, to have some religious belief or, um, and, and, and in the laicite concept, the thing was to avoid any influence from religion in the state. So that's very different. And that's what they were trying to do in the 1880s, some part of the, of the elite uh, that was in the government. So, what we found is that there is some kind of historical legacy there. And although we don't have a public debate about science and religion, there is in some places some conflict narrative. So the main finding I think is that institutions matter a lot and the history of institutions matter a lot. So we, we also find that um, education is very important in Catholic schools. You know, in Argentina, we have a lot, lots of Catholic schools and there are some cases where the creation narrative is a literal interpretation of Genesis, um, which is something that it's at, at odds with the official stance of the church, with, which is accepting evolution since many decades ago. But uh, you see that when, when, for example, some of our interviewees uh, went to Catholic schools and they uh, heard the creation narrative in a literal sense, you know, God created the world in seven days, then they had many problems to accept evolutionary theory or uh, as they saw them as contradictory narratives, they felt they had to choose between one or two. So what's happening in Argentina in, in, in primary and secondary schools, um, it's, it's very important for how people think about science and religion. 
And then the also very important thing about the, the concrete narrative and public institutions is that most of science in Argentina is done in public institutions. So more than 80% of the scientists are working in public institutions, in the main institution that is CONICET or in, in national public universities. And they are socialized also in public universities where they hear the conflict narrative. So we have many, we have 20, more than 20 interviews with scientists and we have focus groups. And it was very prominent that a religious scientist said, well, when I went to the university, I heard if you are studying a, a, a scientific uh, career, you can believe in, in God or in the religion because they are a thought. And it, it is interesting that many religious scientists didn't have a, a, a narrative for a complementary view. So they also thought that uh, in some cases they have to choose between uh, science or religion. And, and this is very important for the quotidian life of scientists, in, religious scientists in Argentina, because what we found is that they feel that uh, religion is stigmatized. You know, as in the US, there are some studies that were very important for us. For example, Liz Barnes studies about stigmatization. And we found something very similar in Argentina. So uh, many religious scientists said that it didn't feel okay to be religious in the scientific sphere. So what they did was strategically interact with their colleagues, hiding the religiosity. So they showed the religiosity with their personal, with, with the friends of the, or their family, but then when they went to work, they avoided talking about religion or showing, showing I don't know, a cross or some other religious symbol. So well, I, I think these few points are, are the principal ones in, our, in Argentina. Uh, let me jump in, uh, Will uh, and James, uh, following Arturo's um, comments. Uh, these findings show the novelty of, of this research. So this is the first time in Argentina that an uh, international project tries to understand uh, the relationships between science and religion from an interdisciplinary perspective and including different strands with different methodologies. In our case, we interviewed 64 people and ran seven focus groups during pandemics. So it was a tough project funded by Templeton Religion Trust and uh, led by the University of Birmingham, uh, a group of scholars like Elson uh, Baker and Stephen Jones and yourself who are uh, involved in the, in the project also. So um, this is the first time that uh, sociology, um, social psychology, and also communication studies are involved in the analysis of the relationship between science and religion. I am saying this because what we found also is that uh, people are open to talk about the issue. So mm. uh, they are aware about the uh, conflict narrative, as Arturo explained, uh, because of the inf uh, media influence, 
but also we, we found that they, don't, they do not have uh, spaces for these kind of conversations within universities or within research centers. And what is interesting also, and Arturo, perhaps you can then uh, comment uh, in length, is that there is a certain kind of disconnection between the uh, discourse of scholars and the discourse of general public regarding the relationships between science and religion. So um, uh, this is interesting because of uh, the uh, stereotypes that are replicated, especially in certain kind of spheres. And then uh, we found that there is a certain kind of passive consumption of news. Uh, and in fact, we are uh, now conducting more research on, on, on this issue uh, because uh, even if there is not a public discussion about the conflict uh, or the theoretically, uh, the theoretic conflict between science and religion, certain moral issues like abortion raised uh, the, the issue and the uh, conflict narrative in the background, okay? Uh, so even in those um, topics, there, is, there are certain differences between scholars and general public which in some way supports what Arturo explained about the socialization of scholars, researchers, and also uh, this uh, presence of certain kind of institutions in the uh, scholar work. Um, do you have anything, James? I've, I mean, I've got a question straight away that, that I just, <laughs> just to follow up with, unless you want to, you want to jump. No, in really interesting. Way. No, you you crack on. Yeah, I mean, that's it's so interesting. Both thanks, thanks so much for um for laying out the the real kind of depth and um and breadth of the of of the research that you've you've undertaken. And I think again that emphasizes the um not to blow our own methodological trumpet too much, but it does emphasize the kind of value of this interdisciplinary approach. I think with the comments you were making Arturo about, you know, tracing these, these, these changes in potentially the kind of foregrounding of a kind of conflict narrative, right from the last, you know, the last kind of 150 years or more, uh, take us back to the kind of, you know, 19th century. Um, and I think some of the, the comments you were making towards the end and there were another kind of brought something into, into kind of sharp relief. And I think, you know, this, this, importance of the kind of uh, public institutions in terms of and socialization of scientists is something I've kind of got a, a, a small interest in um, but it seems to me quite interesting that there's this seeming kind of awareness of a kind of global narrative of conflict or this kind of all this influence of a kind of global narrative of conflict um, that publics are aware of but not necessarily take that seriously in their own kind of con uh, context but then within the kind of professional context of Argentinian science, that conflict narrative seems to be much more, you know, present and much more important for kind of what it is to be a scientist in Argentina. And I was wondering, you might not have any insight into this, it might be a question for research, but it just seemed interesting that, do you think that the socialization processes for those Argentinian scientists are being influenced more by that kind of historic kind of, you know, there's some of those things you were mentioning, Arturo, about, um, the secularized nature of some of these institutions, particularly public education, or do you think they're importing that kind of narrative from elsewhere and thinking that scientists are like this around the world and this is what you know we 
we should be like if we want to be scientists um or do you think it's a bit of both um i don't know that i mean that just seems to me the the, the potentially interesting thing that's come out of that i don't know if you have any thoughts on that anyone there yes i, I think it's both because um one thing that i think is that you have the narrative and then different contexts and different social players use narratives for their own purposes, you know? Mm -hmm. So the French concept of laicite was very useful for this elite that was trying to gain independence from the church. Uh, and, and they sanctioned public education thinking with that concept and the, the conflict narrative was, was useful for, for that purpose. Um, then, then, then you see some, some like tradition of thinking about it that that it's uh, continued and and this is something that historians have researched in Argentina, for example, Miguel de Anzua or, or um, Ignacio Silva. Uh, that is why we became aware of that that history. Uh, but also nowadays, what what you see when you talk with scientists is that many of them have an international experience and that experience is mainly done with in the countries that can fund those, those experiences and mm. um, well you have us and the uk uk the us mainly so many times they go for example to the us and they tell you well there is not a conflict between science and religion in argentina it is not like what i saw in in the us with creationist groups and it's not what others saw in the uk uh, going to some richard dawkins talk for example um in, in our case for example it was striking when we went to birmingham uh, i i went to a, a library and the god delusion was there very big when you enter the <laughs> The, the bookstore, not the library, sorry. Uh, um, that is not something so usually in, uh, in Argentina. The interesting thing is also that maybe they, they get this contact with society and say there is not conflict in Argentina. Okay, they are not groups promoting, for example, creationist uh, narratives in public schools, but they, they tend to adopt the conflict narrative. So, for example, uh, we were talking with one scientist, and he said, "Well, I think you can be religious and and be a scientist." But later on in the interview, he said, "Well, but I, I have this experience with uh, religiously minded individuals that were not able to do proper scientific work. So the prejudice was there. It it was not that he wanted to like promote." The conflict narrative, but the, the conflict narrative was implicit in, in what they were saying. Thanks, Arturo. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting, really enlightening, really to hear um, about those specific contexts in uh, in Argentina and the particular um, forces that are in in play to shape this relationship between science and religion. Um, I wanted to kind of turn to something that you presented at um international research networks conference last year um and in this work you kind of drew on some of the work of john evans around 
moral and epistemological or uh, knowledge conflicts between science and religion. So how how have these theoretical ideas helped you make sense of your empirical findings in Argentina? Yes, well, at first, uh, when I read John Evans, um, I, I, I focused my attention more in his distinction between um, propositional and systemic epistemological conflict. So, you know, uh, systemic, it's um, science and, and religion and worldviews that are contradictory, inherently contradictory. So you can find any dialogue or synthesis between them. And propositional that it's, okay, they may be separate or even compatible, but there are some things where they, uh, some issues where they clash. And you can think of stem cell research, evolution, obviously, and, and other types of, of research. And that that struck me as very useful at first because I was reading the interviews and I was making the interviews and that was very prominent. Many people that said, okay, science and religion are compatible. You, you can believe in something and, and you can believe in God and do science, or you can believe both in, in, in scientific facts and, and religion. But when, when, when I asked about evolution, for example, I said, okay, well, regarding evolution, you know, you have the narrative of Adam and Eve, and then you have uh, evolutionary theory. So yeah, in, in that sense, they are adults. So there was, in some cases, propositional conflict. But then I, I happened to, to read um, a paper from Jonathan Haidt, and this was not related with, the, with, with this research, but I was just reading it with, because a friend of mine told me, you should read this for another research I was doing about polar, polarization. And when I read him, um, he started to talk about moral judgments and the differences between how liberals and conservatives uh, make moral judgments. In, in his theory, uh, liberals have two dimensions with which they make ju judgments that are harm or care and fairness. And he says conservatives have five dim dimensions, harm or care, fairness, um, loyalty, authority, and purity. You know, so, um they are seeing the same things for example uh, someone burning a, fla a flag and for a liberal this is not a, this is not a, something that uh, triggers in him a moral judgment but in conservatives it it does because of uh, authority and purity no? And in, in, in a part of this paper, he started talking about uh, Richard Dawkins, science, religion. And then I remembered about Evans. And this is <laughs> interesting because his main argument was about moral, uh, moral conflict. But I, I went back again and I started to read. And I saw that in some sense, John Evans was making a similar argument as Jonathan Hyde because he says, Moral conflict is more prominent in the U.S. with the data he had at, at that moment mm. uh, between conservative evangelical groups. 
and he even makes this distinction and he says liberal evangelicals do not see a conflict. Mm -hmm. So I started to go again to the data and I started to see a moral conflict everywhere. So it was very useful and it was useful also as a methodology to use Jonathan Haidt's dictionary for moral judgment. Uh, and, and this is something that uh, you found also interesting, James, I, I, I think, because last year you talked about uh, first order and second order points of view. And when I, st when I started seeing the, our, our, going back to our interviews, I saw that, uh, for example, uh, there were liberals, liberal individuals, who were saying, uh, it's, it's okay, uh, to be religious, I mean, I, I'm not religious, but, but, but it's okay to be religious. I'm, I'm okay with that. You can think whatever you want. But then they said, but I don't like when Catholics do moral judgments about public issues. Uh, so in, in one sense, this is very different from, from the methodol methodology of Jonathan Haidt, because Jonathan Haidt would ask you, for example, okay, check this, uh, I don't know, uh, a woman is uh, going to, I don't know, have an abortion. And maybe talk with them, some Catholic who say that I don't like that, and a liberal who says I'm okay with that. But it's individual moral judgment. Whereas in our interviews, what we saw is that they were judgment, judging the judgment of others, and they rejected that. So it's okay, you can believe anything, but do not use that in any public affair or do not use that to judge me. So in, in some kind of sense, it was a rejection of that worldview. Um, so when, when, when we started calling this and, and checking for moral judgments or, or moral conflicts, we, we saw that uh, moral conflict was much more prominent than epistemological conflicts. And, and also that, in epistemological conflicts, propositional conflicts were more prominent than systemic conflicts. In fact, we also find a few non-religious scientists that said that there was systemic conflict. And one case that I think it's also interesting because it allowed us to compare with, uh, for example, the, the US case. He was an atheist in the 1970s, and he said that in that moment that there were more Catholics in, you know, in Argentina, he felt that he had to justify his, his atheism. He, he felt compelled to have arguments to say to others that he was a scientist. So he started um, reading Russell, for example, and then he started to read uh, Dawkins and other new atheists later in his life. And he had the view that there was a systemic uh, epistemological conflict because he uh, when, when he had to to justify his identity his identity to others he started to look for these arguments and he got contact with a conflict narrative um, so i think this is this is an interesting fact because in later generations we, we don't find any any cases of for example atheists or agnostics that feel that they have to just justify their non-belief. Because in, in Argentina, mainly uh, 
religious individuals are not judging non-religious individuals as uh, having some moral problem, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, that's really interesting, Arturo. Thanks for thanks for sharing that, and also good to know that that I might have been as theoretically useful as Jonathan Hyde, <laughs> or perhaps not quite. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, no, no you you were useful. <laughs> one no. one step one step on the road, James. You know, one step at a time. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's it's fascinating. Um, I I want to just turn now. Um, actually, just um, this question I think is directed more i know there's been a kind of range of of research you've you've all been involved in i think this this question is directed more at kind of Ronaldo and sol um so sorry arturo about that but you know maybe you can chip in around the edge as well but um but so yeah so some of the the kind of other work you've been doing recently has um explored the kind of role uh that media and i suppose we've touched on this a little bit so far but we can dig into it in a bit more depth here but yeah the role that uh, both traditional and also social media plays in shaping science religion debates in the kind of multiple contexts we're talking about so so can you just tell about uh, tell us a little bit about the kind of what what some of the impacts are uh, these different forms of media you know what are some of those different impacts and and how have they influenced the debates that you've looked at yeah thank you will for for this question i could start and then uh, give space to to solve because uh, this is an ongoing research uh, that's having little by little different uh, aspects uh, to cover. But first of all, I, uh, as I said you sometimes, well, I, I appreciate a lot your podcast because uh, and we have more or less two hours uh, driving uh, to and fro and coming here to the university. So these two hours, usually I uh, listen podcast, uh, one of the, the best is uh, yours. Uh, and in this February, you interviewed uh, Neil Stephens hmm? uh, about science and meaning, cultural meat. It was an, an interesting um, podcast. Um, and I could like to highlight three key ideas that I got from that interview. The first one is uh, that there are social processes of meaning making. Uh, what Arturo was saying um, is in some way uh, reflecting that. So there are institutional and interpersonal uh, meaning-making processes mm, that influence the way that people see and share ideas in public uh, sphere. So uh, if we talk about media, we are talking not only about a public sphere, like before in the traditional media, mm. but now interpersonal uh, and interorganizational media, which are, for example, TikTok, uh, Instagram, etc., etc. So the second one is uh, that in those processes, keywords or key images are relevant. Mm. Uh, it's different if you use, for example, the word um, in vitro <laughs> meat mm. than culture meat. Mm. And it's different if you use uh, legalized abortion or depenalized abortion. Mm. For example, here in the uh, discussion um, in Argentina. So words and keywords are very relevant. And finally, the third idea is that audiences are hybrid and very complex, very complex, uh, have to be analyzed before communicating them any idea. Eh? Uh, so uh, 
we have to think about the audience when we talk about science and religion or when we talk, for example, on, uh, on a scientific fact, for example, when the governments try to promote vaccination, uh, I published a, a, an article, on a, a book chapter, sorry, about the social marketing campaigns of the governments and the main mistake of them uh, was not to segment the uh, messages to different publics, different audiences. So uh, conflict narratives and deficit models of public understanding of science are really the, the frames used by traditional media, journalists mainly, um, that replicate, I could, I could say, past paradigms <laughs> that, uh, for example, in, in Eklan and other scholars are showing that don't have any support in, in, in at least in the postmodern world. So those frames, I am using the, the word frame to uh, show that uh, there are certain ideas that are packaged before they are communicated to the publics and keywords. Uh, what we'll see is that they are disseminated and sometimes like imposed in epistemic communities. Mm -hmm. uh, what we are talking about the importance of institutions is related, for example, to scientific networks and university systems. Um, sometimes what our studies are showing, sometimes the metrics systems, what we call the scientometrics used by uh, to measure the quality of scientific work, sometimes promote the deficit models or the conflict narratives, because you have to use certain kind of theories or because you have to use some sometimes keywords that are accepted in those epistemic communities that a researcher should enter to be promoted. So uh, what we see is an opportunity to like promote a decolonization of science in this regard, because uh, there are underrepresented schemes and exemplars in uh, the study of the relationship between science and religion. In that regard, I am using a Cunian word, eh, exemplar, eh, eh, which is parallel to paradigm. And I, I am using that uh, in the way Milena Ivanova and other scholars uh, are using to explain how scholars communities have a key role <laughs> in the ideas and even re uh, scientific results. I'm not saying that reality is built okay, by, by scientific communities, but certain kind of ideas or stereotypes or stigmatized uh, people, well, are uh, like replicated in those communities, our systemic uh, institutions. Uh, then we found a lot of support in our studies to the finding, findings that Tom Caden and others published in the book, Science, Belief and Society. Um, about the role of warning and tax, the process of repl replicating conflict and narratives and stereotypes. And finally, uh, and then Sol could explain us more about the, the research we are conducting now, um, we are exploring the difference between media agendas and people agendas. Uh, scholars like Lindman, McCombs, and Shaw 
studied what we say we, we call the agenda setting theory um, and the importance of the agendas that are uh, promoted by certain kind of groups that are part of the institutional settings and then the agendas of the people and sometimes the agendas of the traditional media and the traditional of the agenda of the people are different, and that's the kind of thing we are exploring. But so perhaps you can explain more about that. Yes, uh, we are working on on an analysis on both Twitter as a representation of the people's agenda or what people talk about and what they what topics are more like entertaining or cause people to share more content. And then traditional media, which is more associated to these frames and theories that Reynaldo was just mentioning. In this particular case, we saw, as it had been mentioned before, that in Argentina there's not a lot of public debate about science and religion in itself. So we thought, well, maybe there is some topic that can like spike interest in science and religion. And we came across the debate for the legalization of abortion, which took place in Argentina in 2018. And we, at a first glance, we were aware that it caused people to be more open about certain topics that weren't usually debated on social media, for example, because both scientific institutions and religious institutions were involved in the debate. So this was like an excuse for public figures, scientists, and for the people in general to share more about a topic that is not usually debated so openly. So we are running an analysis on, I think it's six months between March and June of 2018, and then March and June of 2022 to see whether it is real there is more content being shared where, where the relationship between science and religion can be seen that there isn't a normal year or a year where no excuse for this debate. Um, like Reynald was saying, this is an ongoing analysis, so we don't have any sure findings, we don't have anything so firm yet, but we have come across some interesting things like the fact that there is a lot of, of tweets, for example, in the case of social media published about these topics and that there is certainly a lot of engagement in social media where we are trying to find if the debate goes toward the science and religion field or if it goes through other uh, public or social affairs that were going on on those times and related to the debate about the penalization of abortion in Argentina around that time. And something similar goes on for traditional media. Um, we are trying to find out if maybe journalists were responding to this apparent increase in the interest people were showing around these topics. And again, we find this uh, topic about the penalization of abortion as like of an excuse or as a current affair topic to see this can increase 
the debate about science and religion, which in Argentina seems not to be very prominent. Yeah, so it, it seems really interesting though, that this idea of the that relationship between the kind of public's agenda and the kind of media agenda. And it seems that um, the way that, that you're kind of um, instrumentalizing your research is to kind of look at the way that the kind of public agenda might be setting to an extent the um the kind of the the traditional media agenda and i think i mean i in some ways am a, a kind of scholar of communication but i'm certainly not a communication study scholar so is that is that quite a um a novel kind of approach to doing this or is that a because re- my, my general sense would be that you might see how kind of those those kind of top level kind of institutions and you know mass media you know that they kind of to an extent the understanding might be that they they kind of control the narrative that then filters down into publics um but this seems a slightly, I mean, potentially more interesting way of, or, you know, just a different way of thinking about it, the way that, the, you know, journalists might be kind of getting on, on um, you know, picking up from the public things that they might be talking about. And that social media offers a kind of a window into that. Is that is that a kind of more a more uh, recent approach, given that social media is now accessible in that way? Or is yeah, I see you nodding, Ronaldo. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a new approach uh, in the field of science and religion. Uh, so um, it's a new approach uh, that we expect to continue because right now with the changes that Elon Musk is doing in Twitter, <laughs> perhaps uh, we will ha- uh, find some limitations to access to data. Uh, however, um, scholars like Cosinets and others are promoting uh, what we uh, call the uh, nanography approach which is um, doing ethnography online. Mm-hmm. Um, then scholars like Daniel Miller at UCL is uh, promoting this kind of work also related to uh, consumption of uh, media, uh, but it's completely new uh, regarding science and religion, the field of science and religion. And uh, then what, what is new, uh, mm-hmm. And we are proud of that, of that is uh, to incorporate uh, network analysis uh, in this field also. Uh, we're working together, um, perhaps later on I, I can explain uh, the network we are setting up here in Latin America. We're working with the um, School of Engineering in Ecuador, SPOL, um, with a scholar uh, very well known, Carmen Baca, uh, in network analysis, and we are uh, using artificial intelligence to do some part of this research. Uh, what is uh, what Sol explained um, is based on big data, uh, big data techniques mm. and now uh, artificial intelligence to identify certain kind of trends. So uh, the approach is, is new uh, for science and research and science and religion and belief uh, in uh, the analysis of uh, Tweet sentiments and uh, interpersonal relationships in social media. However, it's new in uh, all kinds of um, social uh, studies, uh, the in intersection of different kinds of methodologies, including artificial intelligence, which is something that we couldn't do one or two years before. You know? yeah. No, that's great. Sorry, uh, go on, James. You, you had a question before. I'll let you speak. I'll, I'll yeah I'll yeah no I'll just follow up on that um yeah it's so interesting such a, such a rich and diverse kind of program of work that you have going on 
in Argentina. And as you kind of hinted to there, there's, there's one more uh, slice to it too, uh, that you're setting up a network for Latin American scholars um, who are interested in issues connecting um, science, belief and society. Um, and if I'm right, the project began with some of this scoping work that you were just mentioning about the connections that already exist between scholars in the region. It's really creative work, almost like pushing that boundary of interdisciplinary, multidisciplinarity even further and bringing engineers into the mix, um, which is which is really cool. So I, I just first wanted to ask, um, could you tell us a little bit more about what you found through this scoping and this network analysis? Uh, and maybe even a little bit about how you went about it, I think that's really interesting to hear. Um, and, and secondly, from that and from the development development of this network um what are some of the key issues that you are finding um concerning science and belief in the region in the region i suppose including argentina and obviously beyond given this latin american focus yeah uh, i jump in with the, with the um, question but arturo and sol uh, could also add some data because uh, we three are involved in the, in the network then uh, what i'm trying to like highlight at the beginning is that this network is funded uh, by a grant uh, that was promoted by the International Research Network for the Study of Science and Beliefs in Society. So without that kind of support, we cannot do anything of this. I am I will tell in the, in the next minutes. Uh, this is important because um, Latin American research uh, lacks a lot of sub financial support for doing uh, these kind of studies, uh, which are not connected with economics problems, <laughs> which are uh, pushing more the governments uh, towards engineering or other kinds of stuff. So social sciences lack uh, these kind of uh, financial supports. So uh, after saying that, um, I will just uh, mention um, a few of the results we we got of uh, this from this network we set up uh, two years ago. Uh, first of all, that there are no spaces in universities to discuss these topics in uh, science and religion. We contacted people from Mexico, Colombia, Chile, Uruguay, Brazil, Ecuador, Bolivia, all of them from different disciplines, huh? engineering, um, biology, etc they found a proposal of uh, participating in a network about science and religion, science and belief, sorry, a very, very important topic because uh, of the legislation uh, in educational systems. Uh, this is uh, very critical in Brazil, which is the country number one in terms of publications about science and religion. Um, this is something that uh, was a discovery for us. At the beginning, we talked with people that uh, had made some research on science and religion in Latin America, and they said that there are a few scholars doing research in Latin America on science and religion. Well, our network analysis uh, discovered uh, through big data techniques, uh, 768 scholars who published a paper about topics on science and religion. And they were from different backgrounds, different backgrounds. Um, so there is an, uh, obviously an increasing interest on, on these topics. Think about the discussion in Brazil in late, uh, two, late two years about the relationship between politics and evangelicals. So uh, there are several issues 
connecting science and religion in Latin America. Uh, our network is, is the first one uh, we know in, in Latin America, but it's different um, the interest that the scholars are raising, um, different to UK or US. Um, well, this is explained by what Arturo said before, but um, our analysis shows that religion and health is a very important issue. Creationism, but uh, the creationism regarding the uh, influence of US evangelicals groups of US evangelicals on Brazilian science and, and education. Spiritual needs, uh, science education, subjective well-being, all those key topics are those raised, raised by the scholars, the Latin American scholars uh, in the studies of science and religion. Obviously, uh, the, the, those who are in, participating in the network um, highlighted the importance of decolonizing the um, study of science and religion, incorporating uh, original people perspectives. So uh, completely different to Europe or UK or other uh, regions, we have a large percentages of population who are be, uh, coming from original people, for example, the Mayas, the Aztecs, and the Incas in Peru, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we have to lead them the possibility to um, show what the people are understanding by for science and beliefs, etc. Uh, then um, this is, I think, uh, an interesting fact. Science and religion research in Latin America is conducted by isolated subgroups with low level of between groups collaborations. Uh, so from this perspective, uh, the international network and the Latin American network are uh, very useful uh, tools. In fact, in, in next May, uh, on the 3rd of May, we will organize an international expert meeting here in Buenos Aires. Uh, it will be hybrid uh, to allow people from other countries to participate and uh, participate in that. And we don't find any difficulty to identify Latin American scholars uh, that are working on science and religion and beliefs in society topics. So I think that these are the main uh, findings uh, we got. I, th I think I think that's really really interesting. The um as you say, this kind of the, this broad range of um, people going from all these um, various disciplinary backgrounds who are working on this topic and yet are kind of disparate and disconnected. I think it's there's or I, I don't really know what what draws the, draw the, <laughs> what the comment I'm trying to make here, but I think it's a really interesting kind of finding. Um, and particularly, actually, I suppose it relates. Perhaps actually just something you were saying earlier, maybe there is a connection here. Um, and around this kind of use of big data that I think you've been um, talking about in various kind of ways or, or kind of AI, those big data techniques. It, a comment you made earlier, Ronaldo, around um, a kind of the the site, um, the kind of metrics, uh, I can't remember the exact term you used, but the kind of measuring systems that, that are in place and how they um, might promote a particular kind of, um, that essentially they kind of, foster the conflict narrative because because of the way in which we kind of track you know 
scholars and, and understand kind of, you know, and, and the ranking systems and things like that, there actually might be a way in which, you know, some of these systems that are in place that keep <laughs> that, that um, you know, that, that, that maintain these particular kinds of, 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 of culture of science, but that aren't really integrated cultures because no people aren't aren't they're they're kind of mediated through these sort of systems of, of either kind of you know um yeah the kind of metro metricization of science and things like that so I, I want i mean i wonder if they're almost sort of two sides of the same coin that you can have all these people in in a in 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 a part of the world that are sort of publishing on a topic but without really speaking to each other or, or not seemingly to connect up with each other um and also you know perhaps kind of buying into or being forced to kind of um replicate framings of these issues that just be in order to kind of you know gain rankings essentially i don't know if it, it feels i don't know maybe this is a kind of one of those i need behind me one of those pin boards with lots of red red string going between i'm kind of conspiracizing on the fly or something like that but it feels like there's some kind of link there i don't know maybe maybe not i can see some nods no one else no one listening can of course but i but, but yeah, <laughs> it I made sense it made sense to me what you were trying to say but i have nothing interesting to say on it <laughs> yeah uh, indeed it's not a conspiration <laughs> or something like that it's just Thank you. a Thank problem you. of uh, techniques it's a technical issue it's a technical issue that we want to raise uh, through this network uh, because uh, algorithms scientific databases and network dynamics uh, led the, the disciplines and the scholars uh, towards certain kind of um, systemic problems like this one we are talking about. So it's a technical issue that could be solved through new algorithm, new measurements that several people are trying to promote uh, in these days. So at least in Argentina, th there are uh, discussions among scholars about the useless of a certain kind of metrics that only measure or visualize uh, English written uh, scholarship. Mm. Okay, uh, so only uh, in well in different universities in Latin America we have very good quality, high quality uh, journals that cannot visibilize the Latin American scholars' uh, work because they cannot enter into Scopus. Oh, uh, so uh, there are only technical issues, uh, sometimes financial issues, mm. uh, that could be very easily solved. Uh, and what we uh, saw in our data is that Latin American scholars working on science and belief sometimes don't have the uh, right visibility uh, in the scholar uh, back uh, space, okay? Because of these systemic or uh, technical problems uh, that are related also with university governance. Hmm. But this is another issue. <laughs> no, no, that's, I mean, yeah, and I think it's an issue that we could talk at length. But I suppose 
as you're as you're saying there, Renato, there are sort of um, efforts afoot to try and kind of you know break down some of these barriers or make these networks feel kind of more integrated or more connected. And I think one of these and, and one of the, the really important one of these is also uh, uh, an endeavor that alongside your network that you're also involved in, which is which is a podcast, which is the, the Chris Network podcast. Is that correct? Which which you have been uh, recording episodes and releasing episodes for. So in you know podcast solidarity, we should we certainly suggest that people. Um, reach you know check check out that podcast um you have uh the, the lovely team here who who we've been talking to today to to listen to on those issues and i, and I should be that is the the podcast in in is it spanish language podcast is that correct so again really really interesting for scholars uh, you know who are, who would like to listen in um in in that language so yeah um but i think as i said we could talk um for for much, for much greater lengths but i think we're probably at a point to to wrap up um and just say thank you so much um, uh, for coming on, uh, Reynaldo, Arturo, and Sol. Uh, and yeah, it's a, a fascinating, um, fascinating kind of uh, tranche of work you've been involved in. And it'd be interesting to, to see how, how it all develops as, as things move forward. So yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Will and James. Thank you. Incredibly the work you are doing.